0: everybody welcome back to another episode of don't worry it's confidential how's everyone doing i hope that you're enjoying the last week's of summer no 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 i can't i can't even say that i've decided that september is full summer mode because we didn't really get the beginning of the summer, and so that's why this summer has felt so short. So September is full summer month. Sign my petition and join me in that, because I'm going to keep living like it's summer. Anyways, what can I tell you about my life? I'm doing pretty well. I feel like I am still trying to balance everything that comes with summer. I think, um, friends, family, going out of the city as much as I can, then also work, so much work, (laughs) Uh, figuring all this podcasting stuff out and social life and dating, I guess. (laughs) All that stuff. Yeah, it's a lot. But I guess I just have to keep keep recalibrating I guess you know I didn't know I didn't think it was gonna take me this many months to figure it out but here we are and also just have to remind myself to take it easy on myself to be proud of everything I've done and to not take life too seriously because I don't know about you but that's the classic trap that I fall into and I sometimes forget that I'm young no matter how old you are you're young gonna be young forever I'm happy I have so many things to be grateful for, and yeah, thanks for coming to my own personal pep talk. (laughs) Yeah, if anyone's feeling the same way and needed to hear that, then I'm with you. You're not alone. Just remind yourself of those things because you're beautiful and you're amazing, and what you're doing is enough and who you are is enough, so spread in the love. (laughs) I guess I'll just get right into what this episode is about. I'm very excited about this one, everyone. This one is one that I wanted to do for a long time. I've reached out to this friend of mine and tried to organize because I knew that it would be awesome. I think this is a really important conversation for us to be having for everybody to be having redefining gender roles, understanding societal gender roles and how they influence our ability to access mental health support or even health support and how this kind of frames maybe the problems men have in different ways than the problems that women have. And yeah, I guess kind of something I wanted to say is like we are talking about gender in a very dichotomous sort of way in this episode because a lot of it is kind of just talking about the expectations. I definitely am someone who believes that that gender is on a spectrum. It's not necessarily binary, but society is set up in a way that views gender as binary, views things as male or female, and men should be acting this way and women should be acting this way. And as much as I think we've progressed, that is still very true. And all of us maybe now are able to have conversations about how this isn't true. But at the same time, we did grow up, a lot of us grew up in Places in spaces that made us feel like we had to act specific ways. And so, this undoubtedly influences us, our mental health, and how we view the world. And I thought this was such an interesting and meaningful conversation surrounding this. We also got into race and understanding how that influences different aspects of mental health, also workplaces, also being in certain academic environments and stuff like that. And just, yeah, and just having conversations about our positions and social location that we mentioned it a couple of times cuz we are two social workers talking so i just wanted to explain what that was for people who don't know it's basically just the combination of different factors that make up your identity so things like gender race age, religion, sexual orientation, ability, all those kinds of things, geographic location. So all these things that make up an individual and we all have different locations when we walk into a room, when we're in certain environments. And so we we spend time reflecting on that and how that influences the way that we see this topic and different things. Yeah, so we also just talk about different biases and changing stereotypes. We talk about men seeking help and how to best support them. And also, my friend speaks specifically on child services. We call it CAS throughout the interview, just talking about the themes that he's noticed within that. And we also do touch on like dating at the end and how gender roles affect dating as well. So, We kind of go everywhere and I think he has such beautiful insight and I'm very, very excited for everybody to hear this. I think anyone can benefit from learning a little bit more about this and, and hearing his perspective. Anyways, I hope that you all enjoy this episode. If it stands out to you, if you connect with something that you hear, please share this with a friend and also share on social media if you feel like it or yeah, just send somebody this episode. As always, please rate this podcast. It takes two seconds, just go do it. And if you feel called to it, please write us a a review it's really helpful in helping me and motivating me to continue on with this love you all so much remember follow me on instagram at don't worry it's confidential and i hope that you enjoy the episode this guest has big chiller energy but when it comes time to get to work he has such a composed calming and empathetic presence we only met a year and a half ago but became fast friends when we navigated a very self-directed practicum experience. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Yes, thank you. Very true, very slow start, but I think that we were able to spend so much time together and we just became friends.
0: Yeah, yeah, we had a little crew going that we just tried to do as much as possible together. Um, And just
1: live chats, right? I feel like we were learning through our live chats. Literally. Through our frustrations.
0: How to advocate
1: for ourselves, right? Which we need in this field. So we learned 100%. some things.
0: And every time like one of us would do something like me social worky, like we were literally all like, clapping up. <laughs> Great job. Yeah. So let's start with the get to know you questions. Sure. If you could only hear one song for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: So I would probably say, let me love you. Um, I have a terrible memory and I can't remember any song lyrics, but that's the only song that I know from beginning to start. So it get and it gets me every time. So you yeah, have to go with, let me love you.
0: I love Marla. how quickly you had a response to that. Oh yeah, I knew it. Okay. If you were a fruit, what fruit would you be? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question.
1: <laughs> hmm, Pro- Probably an apple, you know, I try to be healthy, keep an apple a day, keep the doctor away. So I'm trying to be healthy, eat right. And I'm, I'm shiny.
0: Perfect. And, uh Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love bringing out the weird questions, just seeing what, what you're in. Really yeah, I was, wasn't
1: expecting this, but yeah, you keep it coming.
0: Okay, and the last one. If you were a superhero, who would you be? A
1: superhero? I'd have to go with Black Panther. I was a okay. black man, and you know, I got to represent Wakanda forever.
0: <laughs> love it. You were great at just coming up with answers. You whipped them out really quickly. So today's topic, we're basically just talking about men and mental health. So there's many different aspects of this that I think are really important to talk about. One is just literally starting the conversation, talking about men going through these kind of mental health struggles and opening up and having vulnerable conversations about it is super important just to set the example. I also think your experience going into social work and being a man in a very female dominated field is also super interesting. And yeah, just like as a therapist, I've literally throughout my whole year doing it as a placement, I had like one or I think I had two male clients the entire year. And I feel like it would be cool to just talk about like the discrepancy in men seeking help.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I think something that you said that really stood out for me was just seeking help right it doesn't even need to be mental health i think about myself i don't even like going to the doctors you know like taking care of myself physically let's say if i were to break my leg i would just be like it'll heal on its own you know (laughs) i don't want to go to the doctor i'll just i'll just wait at wait at home sit in my bed and and wait to to heal right i I don't want to to ask for help it's this sense of like i can do it on my own i'll figure it out i got this and that's just dealing with physical stuff right so if you want to get deeper and go into mental health it's, it's like we don't even want to admit that there's anything going wrong, right? I think we're very, like, cautious of our feelings. And I feel like a lot of men are conditioned not to talk about their feelings or emotions and that toxic masculinity, right? So, yeah, it's tough to to, to talk about health, right? It's uncomfortable. Or it can be uncomfortable. so. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's so interesting to hear you say that because it's obviously like so different being a woman and having like this kind of open emotional conversation be maybe at the forefront of conversations. And obviously like I'm particularly like that because I'm in this field, but it's it's such a different thing. And And for you personally, how do you think you've kind of navigated like having that resistance, but then going into doing this?
1: So I feel like I wish that I had I'll refer to it, I guess, as like emotional intelligence when I was younger. I used to conform to a lot of those gender stereotypes, I guess, right? I didn't want to talk about anything that was going on. I would just kind of brush it under the rug. And I didn't talk to anybody about my feelings. My guy friends, we just talked about superficial things females that we did, I was kind of like reserved, I guess. I, I, I didn't really try and talk about my emotions. Um, so I just balled everything up. And what happened is I was just angry, you know? I would just like on the flip of a switch, get upset. There was times where I had to go to anger management when I was young and, and that just pissed me off, you know? Just this random woman asking me about how I feel. And I was like, what? why, you know, what's that gonna do for me? So yeah, I wish that I was able to be like, well, this is something that's triggering me or this is why I'm upset. I had no idea. Right. So as I got older and I had to mature and develop and have professional relationships, I found myself kind of arguing with folks a lot. And I wasn't able to really contain my emotions, contain my feelings, uh, what have you. But eventually I kind of matured and and found a good set of friends where we were just talking, getting to know each other better. And I I really enjoyed that. And I didn't really have that before. So when I was able to talk about my emotions, I couldn't stop. Right. Um, But I, I found that I couldn't have these conversations with my guy friends. So I ended up having a lot of girlfriends. Um, And ironically, people kind of started to, like, think that I was gay because I was able to have these Plutonic friendships, right, and just talk about my emotions, so...
0: Wow. Sorry for the tangent. No, I love the tangent. I love the tangent. That's such an interesting, you've noticed that within yourself, obviously done a lot of self-reflection to see how like in the past, your bottled up emotions kind of came out as anger. And and I can imagine how difficult it would have been having someone talk to you when the last thing that you wanted to do was talk about your emotions, having to go somewhere and talk about them. Like that must've been really, really like annoying and hard and just the opposite of what you wanted to do. And it sounds like you needed to get to the point of realizing it within yourself, realizing that you were ready to start having conversations with people you trusted, mm-hmm. to actually be able to like move past that.
1: Yeah, and and so um, just for some context about my life, I'm kind of working within like child welfare, and a lot of the cases that I deal with are men that are abusing their wives, right, or abusing their kids, um, and I felt like that could have possibly been me I had I not learned how to manage my emotions, right? Because a lot of these men, uh, and speaking with them they just bottled up their emotions and they let it out on, on people that they care about. Right. And it it just has this negative cycle. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's so brave of you to admit that and to say that out loud. And I think it's, it's really true. Like people see anger and like hurt is, and sadness is different things. And a lot of the time when you're not taught to express your emotions, it comes out as anger because that's the only accepted emotion in a lot of cultures for men to express, you know, and, and, how do you think that you went from that point of, like, feeling all that anger and being so bottled up to, to realizing, like, I want to change?
1: I feel like maybe, maybe hitting rock bottom. I mm. felt like I was losing valuable friendships in terms of, like, even within my own family, like, I wasn't able to communicate to people. I was just always angry. So it kind of left me isolated, kind of left me alone. But I was always smart enough to know, like, I need to do something. I need to switch something. I need to figure something out. And that's when I kind of became vulnerable. Right? And I feel like that's that's a big step and that's something that's missing for a lot of men to take that step to just reach out. Right. You you kind of talked about these cultures or groups for men. And, and I played a lot of high sports, like high level sports. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was you had to be macho. right? Yeah. It was it was girls and, and cars and money. And you never talked about emotions, you know, not always this cheery. Right. You know, sometimes I'm sad, but you can't show that. So You just kind of all it up. And Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you spoke earlier about how, like, when you started sharing, when you started being vulnerable with people and making girlfriends, like, people thought you were gay. And how did that, how did that feel for you?
1: I was, I was really confused, you know? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I, people knew that I, I had girlfriends or whatever, but it didn't matter, right? It was mm-hmm. just the fact that I had these friendships. But it was, it was kind of hard. Like, I felt like maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Right. Like I felt judged I was like, am I doing the wrong thing? My friends were making fun of me, you know, but I, I'd rather have like a, like a girl's night, if you will. Right. Watch, watch a movie with some girlfriends, talk about life. Um, yeah. And I felt like it was more genuine. Right. I feel like even now with some of my guy friends, it's very superficial stuff. We'll just talk about cars, our job, our relationships, but it's, it's very like minimal in terms of like in depth. Right. Like I actually don't know that much about a lot of my friends. Right. We're just shooting the shit, if you mm-hmm. will but mm-hmm. I don't know that much about them because they're not vulnerable, don't want to talk about hard things that are going on. So with that said, though, I, I've kind of noticed that I feel like male relationships last a little bit longer, because they're not getting into the emotions, mm-hmm. right? So do you have any thoughts on that as a as a woman?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's super interesting. I guess when you get into deep emotions, then you maybe find out like conflicts or things that are, are like different between you and that person. And so there might be a chance. I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of friendships that have lasted a long time, but I do. I've also seen some friendships that, yeah, since you do get into the deep stuff, there's not really like a a level of distance between you. It's a closeness right away. And when you get close right away, then there's more room to fall, I guess, downward, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think. Which, which- Go ahead.
1: Sorry, which, which makes me think about trust too to answer your previous question a little further is like mm-hmm. I just didn't trust anybody like mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to tell anybody my feelings I was like if I tell this person that like that one thing they might tell a bunch of people and all those people will be able to see me so I didn't have that one person that I could that confidant no matter what I tell them they'll, they'll keep it to themselves I was just like no everybody's out to get me They'll they'll all make fun of me and it was really hard
0: so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we all need to have people that we can fully trust. Like that's such an important fundamental thing to make us feel safe and secure in our lives and make us feel okay. But at the same time, like you described earlier, like clearly you were in circles. And I think this is applicable to so many people that were basically telling you that sharing and that connecting with people and that trusting and like that kind of stuff was not, not right when you were getting closer to certain relationships it was like oh no keep it keep it at the surface level or yeah and that kind of stuff and it makes sense why you were hesitant to do it uh-huh. how do you think that you were able to take that like brave step to become more vulnerable even when it was like you were getting made fun of and all that stuff
1: I think it was the trust piece. I felt like I had a few friends eventually that when I had those deeper conversations, we were able to establish a sense of trust and it just felt a little bit more comfortable and like I had nothing to lose and that I was being myself, being honest and not worrying about like popularity or anything like that or what other people think. And just focusing on, on myself and what I thought made me happy. But I think when we're younger, we're just trying to people please and, you know, just get through, right? So.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's something that comes with maturity and like just growing up. But I, I also think sometimes it is one of those things that it's uncomfortable and like really scary until you get past that certain point and then you reap the rewards, right? You were able to enjoy the benefits and, and feel close to the people and feel vulnerable and feel like happier in that way. So it was worth it.
1: And, and another reward, I think too, would be like, I was able to develop really, really strong relationships. Mm. Right. As, as opposed to those service level ones. I had a, a number of strong relationships, just people that I can depend on. I, as I've gotten older, it's kind of dwindled, but the, the friends that I do have, I trust. Um, there's a reason, there, there's purpose. They add value to my life. Yeah, and they're there. <laughs>
0: yeah, I love that. And from like, I guess, high school and when you were sort of realizing all these things to be deciding to become a social worker, how did that journey go for you?
1: Honestly, funny story I actually had no intention of like helping people or social work um, mm-hmm. that wasn't that no no that wasn't a part of my like like trajectory I wanted to become like a pro athlete right I was going to become a professional soccer player that was that was my goal however I didn't do too well in education so um, I could, I couldn't really make it that far yeah, and as I got older my, my bones kind of started to get a little older to mm-hmm. get a little rustier started. Realizing that, hey, I probably, um, if I haven't got scouted yet, it probably won't happen. So I focused on on going to college. I made it to police foundations with like a 51 average, and I was so excited. Started to apply myself. However, the police foundations wasn't for me. So I went back to upgrade my, my high school credits or whatever, and I was just going to become like a personal trainer. I was like, yeah, I, I, I like to work out, so that's what I'm going to do. But... My English professor at the Adult Learning Center was like, hey, like you're pretty smart. Have you thought about university? And I was like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> university, this guy, no way. So yeah. I ended up, I don't know, whoa. <laughs> so I ended up trying to go to university, but I had no idea what, what to do for, right? I thought kinesiology, I was very athletic, so I was like, okay, that goes together. But the guidance counselor and, and my English teacher actually was like, you're really kind, you're really soft-spoken, I've, I've seen the way that you kind of are with the younger kids, because I was a bit older at the time. They're like, you should work with kids. And I was like, all right, <laughs> like, I'm just gonna <laughs> shoot shoot my shot, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: I ended up going to Ryerson for child and youth care. And it was there that kind of started my, my helping journey and figuring out about myself and reflecting. And I've never reflected before in my life until university, but it, I think it's a powerful tool. So lighted
0: me here. Wow. I love hearing about different people's journeys into like what they're doing. And I think what really stands out to me there is just hearing those like teacher, that teacher that you had, and then the guidance counselor supporting you, because I feel like that's so important. Like it's those people that really do pivot people's trajectories and like make them realize their potential and something that you you hadn't even looked at in yourself or even realized about yourself. You were able to start like on that journey and take the step in that direction, seeing that somebody else believed in you. Mm -hmm. from hearing that I guess maybe I'm like projecting kind of my sort of experience because I feel like I I didn't really like know either that I was like had a this type of potential and then until like I had a teacher sort of say this to me so we had kind of similar stories I wonder like how your other like teacher slash growing up experience was like where you put it like I felt like I was kind of put in certain boxes sometimes and I'm and I feel like that that happens all the time especially for athletes
1: yeah sure so I think going back to high school, I think it was like really traumatic, like looking back, but talk about it anyway, safe space. Um, <laughs> a lot of my teachers made me feel like I was really stupid, right? Like I was just a dumb kid and I, and I internalized that. I believed, that, believed it and, and I really um, used it as a crutch. Um, I had an individual education plan, like I had a, a learning disability. So I was just like, yeah, like I'm just going to write um, my tests in, in the resource room, and I'm probably going to cheat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I should probably shouldn't have said that. I've got to cut that. But, um...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Your teachers come back and, like, find you.
1: <laughs> but, um, yeah, they, 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 they labeled me kind of as dumb, and I just kind of went with it, and that was my thing. And I was a lot smarter than what they thought I was, and I just listened right? And they would kind of speak to me like I was stupid. And I was like, these people really think I'm stupid. I'm just going to go with it. But I was able to pass all my classes. Like I didn't do well, but I, I didn't have to go to all my classes and, and perform. But it was kind of like they made me feel like I shouldn't go to classes, right? Like I wasn't going to do much with my life. I remember there was another professor that had called me Tupac. For those that don't know or can't tell, I'm a black male. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, this is so racist. You know, This this guy is calling me Tupac for no reason. Um, he said that I was ghetto, and I was like, can you, can you say this to students, right? But I was in a predominantly white school, so who, who was I going to tell? What was I going to say? And then another experience, too. I remember, so I took, do you remember college mixed and, and universities, yeah. whatever. So I was taking college grade 9 and 10, and I was like, they only care about grade 11 and grade 12, so I'm going to apply myself in grade 11 and 12. That was my plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in grade 10, I had a science teacher, and, and she didn't like me too much. I didn't do very well. I was like the class clown. Yeah, I think we just never saw eye to eye, but I was like, you know, grade 11, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to be smart like all the other kids. So I took a university science class and it was the worst feeling of my life. I remember her being like, so I don't want to say any names or or any specific people, but if anybody like got under a 70 in in college or university level, like grade 10, uh, I don't think this is the place for them. And she just kept on going on about like, this isn't a good place for students that aren't ready to put in the work. And I was like, you just killed my dreams, man. Like, and I knew it. I stood up. I was like, "You're talking about me?" And she's like, "I don't want to to say names, but." And I was like, "Okay." And I walked out of the class, and that perpetuated my my negative of behavior.
0: Course. Yeah, and I was like,
1: I, "I'm an idiot." This lady says I'm an idiot. Like, why go to university? So experiences like that really way deep. Like, so
0: no, it's fully like the self fulfilling prophecy. Like, if you're told these things, you're gonna believe it and you're just gonna be aligned with it because, like. You're a kid you're uh, like malleable and you're going to listen to adults that are kind of shoving these ideas down down your neck and that's like so annoying and i got so mad thinking about it and like i literally had a teacher i had a guidance counselor come in and send me down and say you shouldn't take like i was in science and math in grade nine academic and then they were like okay you should go into applied next year and i was like nah <laughs> but they like literally like it's it's so crazy like they wanted because I wasn't doing well they didn't say like oh how can we support you it was like oh you should just you should just give up or like you should just go it was just like the most ridiculous thing ever and like I can see how dealing with those things would have led to a lot of anger and would have led to that frustration that you were describing earlier on
1: yeah like for the the one time I try you know I, I I'm told just give up Right. Yeah. So and I and I carried that with me for a long time and I didn't realize that. Like to this day for I have sure. a I have a bachelor's degree, I have a master's degree and there's still a part of me that's like, nah, you're stupid." You know, yeah. I haven't really un- fully unpacked that, but I know that I'm not. But it's just like words words hurt and they, they they can carry with you for a long
0: time. So for sure, 100%. And like, as you were going through your bachelor's and then, like, eventually getting to your master's, how did you start feeling about, I guess you said, like, there's still a part of you that feels this way, but, like, how did you start feeling in general about yourself and, and your abilities?
1: So this is interesting, an interesting story
0: mm-hmm. that I'll take you on. So,
1: yeah, in my bachelor's, <laughs> my, first, my first and second year, I was just, like, so excited to be a part of university. I was like, wow, like, I made it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get a great job out, out of this. That's whatever. But I noticed that I started becoming like the topic of conversations in a lot of my classes, just talking about how, like, as a black male, I'll do amazing. Right. And so what I'm what I'm getting at, though, is like a lot of my professors were like, you're going to do great in the field of social work, in the field of child and youth care, working with people because you're black. Mm -hmm. Right. As opposed to, hey, you have good grades, you're doing well, you have a big heart, you have all these skills and you're capable right? They were like, you're Black. You're going to do great. You're male. You're going to do great. All these doors are going to open for you because you're Black. And no one was like, it's because you can do it, right? Yeah. So with that said, in my, in my third year, I was just like, all I need to do is graduate. Apparently, as a Black male, I'll, I'll do great. But that's what they told me, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of like the, the message that they were sending. But in my third year, I remember I got like a 90 on my first paper. And this was my first Black professor. And she ended up bringing me into her office. And she's like, you were brilliant. She's like, have you thought about doing a master's degree or like a PhD? And I was like, what is a master's? I literally didn't know. I couldn't spell PhD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I began to really like gravitate towards this professor and started to believe in myself. And she talked to me about what I wanted to do and, and really nurtured my identity and, and kind of got me to open up about my blackness. I'm biracial, but I've never, I never really identified as anything just because I felt like, I had internalized such negative connotations around black people like it's bad to be black so i never identified it as, as black but this professor was like no like be black and be proud and be a doctor and be black and you know black excellence and i was like i never looked back you know i started doing well killing it applying for my masters and just wearing my heart on my sleeve and and letting people know that i'm capable i i got this far because i can not because i'm you know a, a different shade or whatever mind you representation is important but Yeah.
0: I love that so much. I feel like it was, it's crazy because you kind of were describing like your high school teachers and people putting you in a box because of what you look like for so long. And then you went to university and even though that was now positive, they still were putting you in a box and it just was kind of not letting you be proud of yourself as who you are, not just like what you look like. And then having this moment of talking to a black professor who made you feel confident, made you feel like worthy, just kind of put you in a in a place that you're, you were meant to be because you obviously had all these skills and all these talents and like this natural ability that was kind of just hidden by all this like bullshit. Yeah. That's amazing. And yeah, I guess like kind of coming back to that sort of gender piece, like going into social work, like I was there with you and it was all like mostly women. How did that feel for you?
1: So I feel like it actually really, really helped me. Because literally for the last six years so my, my, uh, my bachelor's and my master's, it was predominantly women.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And we were talking about difficult subjects and they would talk about it in a way that was different than I would, than had I been talking about it with my boys. Mm. Right. And I felt like I learned and I might be generalizing here, but I kind of learned these, these ways of communicating that I feel like females are really good at in terms of like the emotion behind it and the reason behind it, um, and coming from a caring place in your heart and like being vulnerable and sharing their experiences. And I feel like that's kind of what made me a really good social worker is like leaning on my experiences. However, I didn't feel comfortable about talking about it without seeing the, the, the women around me doing it, if that makes sense. So
0: yeah, you were able to sort of pick up on like some skills that you didn't have before or you weren't allowed to like tap into before and then apply them. And they were like obviously like very important skills to have in this field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it shows how important it is to kind of surround yourself with different people so that you can learn different skills that maybe like you have, but are, are kind of like buried or or stifled by other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember in a class last year, you described your experience in like CAS and just being a black man and walking into like certain environments and being like not fully like respected and stuff like that, like, or I don't want to put words in your mouth. Can you? Oh, that's you're right.
1: (laughs) Uh, I I guess I had to like code switch a lot of my life. So, code switching is like I I would talk the way that essentially white people talked. I wouldn't dress comfortably. Like, I like to wear sweatpants and stuff. And I was like, they were going to judge me right? They're Mm going to think I'm a a hoodlum or something like that. So I had to wear like dress pants. I don't know if you noticed, but I always tried to dress pretty nice. You know, I'm I'm not the (laughs) best in fashion, but I I, I tried to dress presentable. (laughs) Right. Um, And I was doing that out of like safety to protect myself so that people Mm -hmm. weren't judging me and that I I belonged with you guys.
0: Yeah. That's a lot to have to deal with. Like it's (sighs) It's, I think it's important to kind of like talk about those things because I think people who are in the majority or like not in the majority, because that's not even a real thing. It's like, are like the, the norm, whatever that people expect people to be in certain environments. And like, it's cool to hear about your experience and how stupid that is so that we can change environments to make everybody feel like they fit into it. Mm -hmm. and you did, like, adjust yourself to fit into these places, right? And when you were there, like, did you feel like you were accepted?
1: I would say, like, yes and no. So Mm -hmm. a part of me felt accepted because I felt like people were trying to understand. However, I felt like a lot of people still were uncomfortable in having those conversations about race or gender and stuff like that. And, And I feel like that's just as, like, bad, right? Not acknowledging it or not talking about it. It's just awkward. And, and we're, we're in a time where people are talking about anti-Black racism and they looked to the Black folks to teach everybody and it's like, there's 30 of you and you know there might be one other Black person in my class and, and you want us to like be vulnerable and share our experiences and you may not even understand, validate, right? So why, why would I put myself out there only to be like, well, does it exist? Does racism exist? Um, I remember one of my classes I was sharing an experience where I was assaulted by a police officer, right? Which which police violence that happens. It it happens a lot more for for Black men. And I remember one of the white women were like, white ladies, classmates, whatever you want to call her, was like, well, not all cops are bad. Um, And it really just like made me feel like so small, took away from like me being able to share my experience. And I never said that all cops were bad, but it was just like, why would I share something that vulnerable to be shut down that quick? Like, let's talk about it, right? And then we can get to this, compromise where like I never said they're all bad I'm just sharing my experience but yeah
0: yeah I mean that's like so frustrating and terrible to think about even in like an environment where like we're literally there to learn to help support each other to validate each other's feelings and experiences and then having you be vulnerable you share something that must have been traumatizing for you and having that response is just like it shows like the need for these conversations, the need for people to, to look in the mirror and to like, understand why are you saying that? Like, why did you feel the need to, to clarify that not all cops were bad, like in that situation? And, and yeah, it's just like, I just, I can't imagine how frustrating that must've been.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting. I just shut down. I was like, I'm not going to win this one. Uh, yeah. I don't know what to say, but it was, it was nice to see like my professor. Other students kind of stepped in because I think they noticed what was like that it was wrong or like maybe not that not the time to say that. So that was nice to have some support because yeah, Yeah. felt valued, I guess, or like,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think there are so many people that do want to improve and do want to like help and be better and change society for the better but it is like so many people were kind of raised in a place of don't talk about these things or don't talk about anything that makes us uncomfortable kind of going back to that same sort of like don't share your emotions like sometimes like especially i don't know for women i guess in that way it's don't be confrontational you know like don't i don't know if that, that's the right word but don't step outside of like what people expect you to be you know and i guess that's something that a lot of people sort of feel but it's it's problematic i guess in some ways
1: yeah and and sorry i'm gonna jump around here but like it um, it just makes me think about my experience with with cis and um, when i'm dealing with the domestic abuse like i'm not Mm. really talking with the father Mm. right it's like we're blaming the mother we're talking with the mother Um, Mm. we, we put all the responsibility on the mother although there's two right so it's just interesting that we just kind of gravitate towards the one that can probably talk about it which is going to be the mother if that makes sense
0: yeah. It's like by talking to the mom, like maybe you will get like more open conversation, but at the same time, you're putting all the blame on them. And so you're kind of taking away like the responsibility of both parties. How did that feel for you?
1: I mean, I felt like it was interesting because I also like look at my my subject location and I'm a, I'm a male. I'm like, I look like, you know, the person that did this to you and I'm trying yeah. to have this conversation with you. And I'm like, I, I, I don't want to feel like judgmental or anything or um, like I don't believe them or... I don't know. It's a difficult line to, to walk, I guess.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. How did you walk that line?
1: What have I, I just had the conversation and tried to be kind and genuine. And I'm very gentle and grounded. And I feel like people kind of like can sense that.
0: Yeah. Um, for sure. and,
1: and most people were, were pretty open.
0: Yeah. And seeing like the places that you've had experience to so like working at CAS. And like, I guess since you're like pointing out the fact that you're talking to women about this, not talking to the men, I just feel like, it offers an interesting perspective that maybe as a woman i wouldn't have noticed as much maybe i would have just thought it was natural and so i'm wondering like how that experience made you sort of question if it did the way things are done and like how services are being like provided
1: i mean i feel like services are going to continue to support those that need it or want it which mm-hmm. is i think going to be women i think that maybe my approach to getting better with the situation or um kind of resolving it would be to implement stuff earlier like i don't know have have, talk about your feelings from like kindergarten you know what Mm -hmm. i mean you put in these positions where men Need to talk about, or not need to, but to just feel like it's normal to talk about stuff when they're young, so that yeah. they're able to carry it forward with them when they're older, so that it's normal for them to talk about their emotions. Because I don't know what other kind of prevention[s] you could put in place.
0: Yeah, of course. Like I, I definitely agree. Like services are going to need to continue be provided to the women who need it. I also think, like I guess, where my question was sort of going is like thinking about how, like, when what you said is providing that like early intervention with men and just normalizing talking about feelings in that way because I do think about those men and like as much as we try and just a lot of people villainize you know like the man who perpetuated the violence or whatever it was I think they're they also do need intervention right and they're yeah there has to be supports in that way yeah. and
1: then hmm, I wonder like as a man would it be more comfortable to speak to another man you know I don't know. That's the the representation piece. If it's like, they feel more comfortable talking to other men that have abused their wives as, as, as terrible as that sounds, but to have that relation or that relatable piece. Right. So.
0: Yeah. That was actually one of my questions. Just wondering if with clients who are male, do you think that they would prefer to talk to an, a male therapist or a female therapist? And obviously it's, it's hard to generalize, but I, I do wonder how the Therapists, like location and their gender influences like the conversation.
1: Yeah, so I guess this is a totally biased opinion. But I, again, I still think it's going to be easier to talk to females. I think we just as society kind of think that women are more emotionally in more understanding, just kind. Whereas mm-hmm. you might feel that authority from a male, right? That judge, judgment from a male. Um, mm-hmm. You might feel less than than that male. You might feel emasculated um, by that male. They may not be as like perceptive or, or showing their, their body signals, like, you know, nodding. They might just be staring at you blank face because sometimes men don't show emotions, right? So I think it could be uncomfortable. And then to bring it back even further, I feel like a lot of men, and this is, again, my biased opinion, but have really strong relationships um, with their mom, right? So I feel like you feel you feel comfortable kind of reenacting that. So having a conversation with an older lady that somehow weirdly reminds you of your mom or, mm-hmm. you know,
0: Yeah. <laughs> just nice. has that mother that has
1: that motherly nurturing way about her. So
0: yeah, no, totally. That makes sense. And yeah, it's definitely just like one person's opinion. And I, I can see how that would be true as well for sure. And I'm wondering like keeping in mind that response to that question, like how do you see yourself fitting into like the social work profession? Holy <laughs>
1: So I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm trying to reconceptualize like who can be a social worker, right? And who can have those qualities. So when when earlier in, in the thing, when I was saying that people thought I was gay, it's because I was kind, yeah. right? And I, sh- I should be able to be a man to be kind and, and be able to be an active listener and hear people out and not be as impulsive, like men are, are typically known for, right? Women are kind of more practical or could be perceived as more practical, a little bit more emotionally in they're a little bit more relaxed um in nature and depending on who you meet but yeah men, men are impulsive and men are or can be impulsive so just to kind of try and rewrite that narrative
0: yeah yeah I mean I think that no I think that's so true and that's so right and it's like you have to like Every single person is affected by these like so- social and cultural ma- labels that they put on themselves. And it. I think it's awesome that you were able to rewrite it enough that you wanted to go into this field. And obviously that's going to be an ongoing journey of self-reflection of like trying to see how you fit in, even though like you have these conceptions about like your gender and, and how you fit into things. Yeah.
1: That's so interesting. Wow. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Really asking big questions.
1: Oh, that's good though.
0: Okay. I briefly mentioned that, that I only had like two male clients all year. And then now I'm having more male clients and something that I've sort of seen come up as a theme is, This idea of like gender roles in like dating and relationships, and this feeling of women wanting men to be vulnerable, men not feeling like they should be vulnerable. And then also, like, yeah, just a sense of maybe not being comfortable being vulnerable, but also maybe not being comfortable being like forward and doing the typical, typical like things that are like men should do, like ask a girl out first or like do those things. Um, I guess I just wanted to hear your opinion and, and see what you think about those things.
1: I think everything you said is true. But something that you said that stood out to me was women wanting men that are vulnerable. I feel like um, we kind of have these, these narratives of like women wanting either like uh, the bad guy or the good guy. Um, mm. And the good guy always finishes last, right? But mm. I, as, as we get older, it's kind of like a, I feel like a woman or women kind of veer away from that like status piece or. Um, looks and are wanting someone that's just kind to them someone that listens to them someone that's understanding someone that's able to meet them halfway and I feel like those qualities are good qualities but are, are are really not recognized as as something that most men possess so when you hear about your girlfriends that are having those good relationships and he's such a good listener and he gave me that last slice of pizza or I don't know but but are able to have like live chats with them and get a little bit more deeper into conversations they're sought after right they want someone that's emotionally intelligent someone that's mm. able to to cry to have a good cry why can't we cry as men mm. you know like I want to be able to watch the notebook and and cry and feel <laughs> no way about it right give me the tissue box and just let it out it's natural I don't want to build up and feel less than because yeah, grown men should be able to feel comfortable enough
0: to cry yeah and I think that's like so important in like just generally just letting go of these like gendered stereotypes so that people can actually be who they are rather than like try and fit into the boxes and the boxes are so confusing because you have on one side wanting to be the bad boy the other side wanting to be the vulnerable person that's good to their girlfriend like there's so many things that are pulling in every direction and it goes kind of negatively affects women it negatively affects men it negatively affects everyone in between because we feel like we have to fit into all these things so yeah I don't know I guess so
1: can I can I share just a funny story my girlfriend will love this so uh, I have an amazing girlfriend and I definitely can attribute a lot of like my communication skills, like healthy communication skills to her or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like gender norms, we really try and challenge a lot of those, reconceptualizing, like those, those common perceptions of relationships and what they should look like. So for those of you that can't see me, I'm probably like 5'11". In a good day.
0: a <laughs> You uh, describe go- every aspect of yourself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Just, you, you need the mental image for this one. So my girlfriend's about 5'1". And I'm, I'm pretty strong. Like I'm pretty big guy. My girlfriend's really, really small. Um, and we'll go grocery shopping. We, we live together. And when, when we're going up with the groceries, she'll take like eight bags, right? And I'll have like two bags. And I was like, oh, you know, at first it really threw me off. I was like, as a man though, I realized like, I felt like I needed to be strong. I needed to be carrying those grocery bags. And she's like, no, I can do this too, right? And the looks that, and, and now I love it. I'm like, I don't have to carry as much, it's nice, you know? As a man, I thought it was my duty to protect her. It's my duty to, to lift the heavy things. It's my duty to do those kind of things. Right. If, if someone is, is, is arguing with her, I want to jump in and protect her. Where it's like, no, like she can do those things too. Right. Yeah. So we try and challenge those, those stereotypes. And yeah. She's that's like, that can amazing. do it too. Right. That's and-
0: amazing. <laughs> I love that. I feel like that's such a fun, like kind of dynamic to have and you can bring it in like not so serious things, but more serious things as well. And like, keep it going. And, and it's good to sort of challenge that within yourself, challenge that in your relationships and notice like how you're being limited by these like roles that you think that you have to. I'll,
1: I'll give you a great one. Just, I'm sorry, I'm loving Love this it. topic. I'm thinking about like <laughs> paying for a date. I mean, I've been in a relationship for a long time, so I don't know what it's like, but I feel like a lot of people expect the mail to pay, right? My mm-hmm. girlfriend was not having it. And I was like, huh? Like, I'm not going to be the financial provider for this this unit. And it's it, it's made us like, on the same level, and it's given me that much more respect for her, right? Like yeah. I, I respect that so much that she's not settling for those those female norms or whatever. So, totally. do you have any thoughts on that dating and who you pays? Know what? Like,
0: I have a big thought about that. <laughs> I think it's. I agree totally. I think it's so important. I love to like switch up those roles as well. But I have had like this idea of me being a very confident sort of not a quiet. I don't fit into that aspect of like a woman gender role of more quiet and submissive in some ways. And which I, yeah, don't agree with, (laughs) but anyways, but I guess like there is that sort of fear from being a woman and just even feedback guys have said this to me as you're intimidating. I think it goes both ways of like, like everybody should just kind of let go of these things together, but it is challenging in certain ways well I think we all win by letting these things go but I also think it's like an interesting thing to point out like there is kind of negative societal feedback sometimes when we do let go of these gender roles
1: that's gonna take time for sure but you, you need to also find that match I guess that's like not intimidated I guess yeah. I don't find <laughs> you intimidating I don't know but I can't I don't know I guess you have to be confident in not being overpowered I I think that's a bad way of saying it but
0: I know what you mean it's like yeah it's like even with finances and stuff like that there is like those certain gender roles of like oh the man is the breadwinner and stuff like that and it's like we have to let go of those things and you have to be confident enough to know that like each person should be able to make equal amounts of money and there are things that are ingrained in us because society is built this way but we should challenge them and engage in self-reflection like you said before
1: That's what I was trying to say.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Well, I feel like I got to most of my questions. Do you feel like you have anything else in this topic that you would like to mention?
1: No, that was great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Wait, wait, last thing. I have a final question I ask everybody. It's if you wake up in a bad mood, if you're having a bad day, what's something that you do to help yourself feel better? I put
1: on like silly music and just kind of dance with my partner or by myself and just moving i just i can't be mad when i'm moving and it just (laughs) it just makes me laugh and then i'm usually okay
0: (laughs) i love that that's a great answer